This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by birdfeeders.com. Birdfeeders.com. Need a bird feeder? Got some pesky birds you want to feed? Some squirrels? Homeless people? Birdfeeders.com has it for you all. So use code BROTHERSHIP at birdfeeders.com and get 50% off your first purchase. Birdfeeders.com. Birds. Very nice. Very good. You got the hang of it. Well, hello, everybody. This is very very different, actually. Yes, it is. I've got somebody sitting across from me today who's actually hairier than me. And normally it's a skinny, hairless, pale French fry little boy named Jason. And today it's a... It's a kind of a thick, furry kind of creature. Named Caleb. There he is. Nice to meet y'all. Yeah, and we had Caleb on the show because Jason fled the country, um, and he's now laying low in Costa Rica, and he'll be back maybe at some point in the future, maybe not. Very true. But until we know, uh, Caleb and I are going to hold down the fort, I guess, and we're going to talk about some things. Caleb brought a great idea to the table, which is Ready Player One, if you haven't read the title of this episode which you probably have also i need to not bang the table i do this every episode i bang the table and jason and i are so not like the table this table i've been really worried about it because you guys talk about hitting the table all the time we're just so over it we're (laughs) over the creek but like when i thump my hands on the table it's pretty loud it's pretty loud in the mic and i do it all the time but we're we're not one of those podcasts that's you know we request a noiseless environment we need you know top sound quality Nobody cares about that. You get what you get. Nobody cares, but yeah, we just we just have no we we just care. We only care so much, and none more. But yeah, so uh, Caleb brought Ready Player One, the film, for us to review, and you will be talking more about the book too. Yes, I've read both, and yeah. you read I've one, watched the other. Yeah, I read the book first, then watched then the watch movie. movie. Yeah, always do it that way. But Caleb, before we jump into the actual discussion at hand, what we normally just do is discuss briefly apart from ready player one what we've been you know reading listening to watching in our free time and just kind of like snap um reactions to it so you know do i like this why do i not like this why not so what have you been kind of like you know what have you been watching we were talking about sensei you watched Mm. that on netflix and that sort of thing but what have you been watching recently or reading or listening to um recently i've picked up for reading uh the bell tolls for no one by charles bukowski okay i think that's how you say it Mm -hmm. uh and then listening pretty much just been picking up stuff from artists i already listened to Mm -hmm. and that typically goes into a lot of rap music like very weird rappers but it's fun good music to listen to and just been picking up more of their stuff like baby no money young gravy okay interesting guys then watching i've been lacking on a lot of watching lately just yeah. because life gets busy life ebbs and flows it does i've been listening to like podcasts and stuff at work so like awesome yeah, yeah. great thing to do hope you're all listening to this at work yeah i hope i hope everybody listens to this at work instead of working truth that's my that's my end goal or you do both or that yeah well <laughs> <laughs> I, the, there's only one time at my job that I get to listen to podcasts, and that's when I cut windows into doors. There, we we sell. I work at a home hardware. We sell exterior doors, like the steel doors, okay. like the front door of a house. And if you see a, a window, somebody's door, mm-hmm. I I cut those into the door. So you get okay. just a normal, you know, uh, six panel door. They're called. Then I just drill a couple holes. I mark it out with pencil. I cut all around it with a. Uh, 
uh, a uh, jigsaw, flip it, do the same thing again, and then screw in the whole window. And that's the only time I ever definitely work alone. All right. I do remember some of the stuff I've been watching, though, recently, which is sure. American Gods Season 1 and 2. Okay. Would recommend. I haven't read the book. Here's a question for you. So I have read the book, and it's phenomenal. Watch the show. It's good. It um, fell really short on a couple things for me uh, compared to the book, just in terms of like how people look. Like, uh, okay. Wednesday is supposed to have a beard. And I'm like, what? Ian McShane, tell me. What is so hard about growing a beard that he you can't can do just... it? I know! I have Googled Ian McShane beard after he, that. He can grow like, a nice beard. He would look way better. It would make, make, make way more sense for him to have a beard. Because of the character he plays. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But do you have to have a Stars subscription to watch American Gods now? Legally? Nice. So you're watching it illegally. I'm going to get that. I use streaming services for a lot of my stuff. Yeah. Netflix, but I'm going to just shout out a couple. MovieNinja.io and then Flixster.to. Two really good streaming services. No crazy pop-up ads. No anything that's going to wreck your computer. And it has just about everything. Because I watched the first season of American Gods on Amazon Prime. And I was like, okay, this is... It's still on Prime. It deviates. It is, but I was trying to watch. I was trying to get on to season two the other day. Because I just haven't um, seen any of it yet. Despite the fact that it... Excuse me. Came out a while ago. And uh, then they said, you know, you have to have a Stars subscription to watch that. And I was like, that's garbage. Like, I, I already pay for Prime. That doesn't like, make any sense. What more do you want from me? So I'm not sure. I find Amazon Prime Video very unintuitive and, like, very weird. Um, but it could be because my brain is, like, hardwired to Netflix's it's, setup. It's a very weird setup compared to Netflix. Yeah. They do have, like, if they fix their user interface for when this new show that they've purchased the rights to comes up, I'll be excited. Lord of the Rings? Yeah, the yeah, Lord of the yeah. Rings TV show I'm excited and hopeful for. Yeah. So... We'll see where that goes if I do end up... Well, we have an Amazon Prime subscription now, yeah. but... Watched American Gods and then Game of Thrones Season 8. Uh-huh. If you like the books and if you like Game of Thrones, just don't watch Season 8. <laughs> I can't believe the backlash that's resulted out of that. And but I can go on knew... a 45-minute tangent on just Season 8. We man. knew a long time ago that they were going ahead of George Martin's writings. And I just thought, what a terrible, terrible idea. Like, just wait until the dude's written at least a, a concept or an outline or a plot of some kind or a treatment, and then go off of that. There's no, like, yeah, people like Game of Thrones, but can you imagine the um, overwhelming surge of excitement that the, would be generated around the globe if they got, like, the kind of the first peek at George Martin's next idea going off script is never a good idea for something that i've never watched game of thrones i have no interest in it really um it's too much of a time sink and i have mm. lord of the rings that keeps me happy but it's crazy the amount of anger that it generated it's because the the writing significantly decreases from even like season seven i really liked people are still indecisive about it but it's generally accepted it was still a good season yeah. Season 8 was like, wow, look at all of these amazing things that George R. R. Martin said was going to happen. Now let's throw it all to the wind and write our own story. Yeah. I was 
oh, there was just so many like prophecies and very specific things that it was like these things need to happen because they have been stated that they're going to happen since season one and it has been like the main background and story and character development for specific characters as to what these prophecies mean and like maybe who's gonna kill who or the reason why a character hates another character is because of a prophecy season one so uh, but then american gods what are your thoughts on that so far uh i enjoyed it yeah i definitely thought the whole relationship between uh i only know him as lincoln i can't remember his name in american gods the main character shadow yeah shadow that's what it is shadow so the relationship between shadow and his wife Mm -hmm. was like good and like interesting of like oh yeah she cheated on him and them trying to like rebuild the relationship and then cut to season two she kind of just dips okay and i just didn't know how i felt about how they wrote it this is a little disparity between the series and the book that doesn't it won't spoil anything for you but you should read the book jason I, i want to is currently reading it because i've been hounding him it is incredibly readable it's it's very action packed it's incredibly mysterious and evocative and uh and really symbolistic and gets into a great concept, which is what if, you know, gods and religions were built on people's, purely on people's belief in them and manifested in these kind of corporeal uh, figures that kind of wander around, you know, like Odin, Thor, like all these people are actually almost almost borderline destitute now in North America because nobody believes in them, nobody thinks yeah. about them, prays to them or anything. And what if these new gods like technology and media were rising up? But in the book, uh, Laura, which is the wife character Mm -hmm. you just mentioned, is like pops up once in a blue moon. She is totally not one of the co-lead characters in the book. She kind of, uh, I mean, it's, it's completely not a spoiler. You hear about it in like the first paragraph of the, of the book and you hear about it in the first scene of the movie. She's dead. Okay. Yeah, sure. And then she comes back to life through these weird circumstances that you find out more about later on. But in the in the book, she's kind of more in she she comes in and out of like a daze mm. sort of where she's she just kind of wanders and pops up different places. And and I, I thought that it was a lot more interesting that way with you, where you get these snatches of conversation, these little, you know, where she finally finds him again. And then he gets whisked off somewhere else and she's looking for him in this kind of like weird trance-like state. Whereas in the, in the uh, series, she's totally with it. And they have this weird kind of like zombie humor that goes along with it that I found kind of, um, is totally not in keeping with the book. The book is not very funny. It's very dark. It's very dark and it's very, um, moody and kind of mysterious, but I think near the end of season two, they started to catch that tone. Yeah. And they definitely got the darker of like, people start dying. Yeah. Stuff starts going south. And like, I really enjoyed that. But uh, moving into like, that whole relationship, I was like, they didn't give you enough for keeping her in. Yeah. Than if she had just been popping up here and there in a trance like state, but she's completely coherent, makes her own decisions to go with her against Mm -hmm. yeah 
And uh, and for me, for what I've been mm. kind of ingesting recently, uh, the Nationals' new album, uh, I Am Easy to Find, I've been listening to a lot, and I don't want to necessarily, because Jason and I, that's, that's like the next thing we're going to talk about. The next gotcha. episode will be on that album, because we're both huge fans of the National, and uh, it's a very different album from anything that they've done, far less emphasis on on the songs as individual uh as individual items and more on the album as a whole mm. which for me hey there which for me you just played footsie with me under the table a little bit sorry about that which we're not even halfway into the show here i know this is going to escalate uh for me was is a positive thing and there's like loads of like female uh voices that kind of come it's like a 50 50 mix of uh matt's the lead singer matt's uh like really beautiful baritone voice and then these Mm. like really cool female voices almost like leonard cohen style where he's got like almost almost permanent backup singers totally different than anything they've done before really interesting i do recommend it that's all i'll say for my jason recommended it. it to me like a couple days ago and we and so i've been waiting we have not talked at all like i don't i don't even know except now now that you've said that i know that he must like it but we haven't spoken at all on okay what so we, i won't like, say we anymore lis- <laughs> we listen to it together and we just don't talk about it like that's well, we refuse to talk about things like that until we're seated 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 at this table hmm. with our notes in front of us like and we're about to you know bleed onto the on the table because that's when you know, some pretty awesome arguments can happen, but that must be so hard to do. Sometimes it's really so. difficult. It was difficult I just, when I just came over, yeah, and I was sitting there going, "I really want to talk about this film." Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's very hard. So many things to say, especially because you know, um, if I suggest a topic or he suggests a topic, that we normally feel very strongly about it. Exactly. And so then you wanna, but anyway. So I've been listening to that a lot. I've been reading uh, The Amazing Ventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, which is a really cool uh, novel by... It's a Pulitzer Prize winning novel okay. by um, one of, I guess, America's foremost postmodern authors currently, Michael Chabon, who uh, who hasn't written that many novels, but started, like, published his first when he was just 25 or something like that. Okay. So very, he's been in the game for a while. He's probably in his 50s now. And it's about these two... Um, these two cousins in right right before kind of the waxing of the golden age of comics with super superman like detective comics and that sort of thing and they invent their own superhero okay and it gets like huge and so it's a fictional superhero called the escapist it's very it's super cool really fun book um spans like you know that his cousin comes over from germany he's a jew in germany during like uh the occupation and that sort of thing and during hitler's kind of regime and so he has to flee to america where he meets his cousin joe who's very american with like kind of a swagger and that sort of really cool great characters has taught me a lot about writing and it's so far really informed my uh my writing style on like the project that i'm currently working on mm. so very cool and i just watched um uh, evil genius on netflix as well which is, um, I'm not really a big fan of these true crime like documentaries where they go into like a, a 
you know, it's always some sort of cold case or something like that where they okay, yeah, they go in and they interview people and people say things they've never said before. And then but, they solve the entire mystery. Yeah, yeah. But this is not that. This is about a, uh, a incident that happened, I think it must have been in the late 80s, called the Pizza Bomber Incident. Have you heard of this at all? The Pizza Bomber Incident? I... Yeah, it like it happened before I was born, so it happened before <laughs> you were born, before that's for sure. Um, but it, basically what happened was a pizza delivery guy went in and robbed a bank with, um, and this is in, I want to say Pennsylvania, yeah, Erie, Pennsylvania, went in and robbed a bank with a bomb around his neck. Police apprehended him shortly thereafter. And he was insisting to them that he needed to disarm this bomb or else it was going to go off and it was going to kill him. And they found like a scavenger hunt on sheets of paper in his car with like the steps, the places he needed to go and the things he needed to do to be able to disarm this bomb and save his own life kind of thing after robbing this bank. And he didn't. The bomb goes off while he's sitting there cordoned off by police and punches a hole in his chest and kills him. And they show you that and then they walk you through the suspects the case how it's gone in the decades following and how we still just don't really know exactly who was behind it and it is like it's so weird you meet the widest array array of like trailer trash just really brilliant warped individuals Huh. And you go like, wow, why aren't you like a professor right now? Like, but instead you, you know, spend an hour every day just shaving off your eyebrows and you, dude, I'm not kidding. Anyway, I, I, it's kind of old news. A lot of people have seen it already, but, um, it's really weird. It's really interesting. And that it's like, sounds awesome. and it's like four 45 minute doc, like episodes long. It's really short. It's really, really good. It's it, very cool. It sounds almost like Sherlock meets that one episode of Black Mirror where people are doing like all of the tasks for uh, like these internet hackers. Yeah, yeah. But it's that you it's guys can't see my face. I was just jaw dropped the entire it time. Is, and that's what you know. It's completely strange. I have no no other way of you know. Evil genius, you said. Evil genius. Yeah, well, I know I'll, what I'm I'll, I'll show you a bit of it after we're done. For sure. But in, until we're before we're done, we have to play the theme music. And this is you're absolutely not allowed to pull back the curtain on how we do this whatsoever, because Jason and I have described all sorts of like giant steampunk machines that it honestly, guys, it, it's chrome and it takes up about half of the room, and you have to put blood in it for it to work. I lost half a liter of blood today. Yeah. They said because I was new, I had to sacrifice to it. Yeah. We're we're always incredibly lightheaded when we record this show. And drinking apple juice. <laughs> and we normally just talk over top of it, too. It's not important. I just can't have a it's, I know. Okay, you're aboard the Good Ship Brothership. What's the Good Ship Brothership, you might ask? It's the only arts podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and uh, speed diving. <laughs> I'm Grant, and this is my stand-in brother. Caleb. Yes. And today, we are talking about Ready Player One at Caleb's uh, behest and at his uh, at my approval, because I will review everything. I have no standards. Anyway. So I will get us started with a little Wikipedia backstory on Ready Player One. 
Ready Player One is a 2018 American science fiction adventure film. That's a huge... Produced and directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Zach Penn and Ernest Klein. Based on... I'm sorry, I just burped. <laughs> Based on Klein's 2011 novel of the same name. The film stars Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cook, Ben Mendelsohn, Lena Waithe, yeah. TJ Miller, who I like totally didn't even... You didn't recognize him? No. no oh, no. I did. Right T away. TJ Miller, because Miller, I can't stand TJ Miller. Neither can I. And that's a pretty... I'm, I was blown away that I actually did stand him here. Simon Pegg and Mark Rylance. More on him in a bit. The film takes place in 2045 when much of humanity uses the virtual reality software Oasis, ontologically anthro anthropocentric, sensory immersive simulation... To escape the desolation of the real world, orphan teenager Wade Watts discovers clues to a hidden game within the program that promises the winner full ownership of the Oasis and joins several allies to try to complete the game before a large company run by businessman Nolan Sorrento can do so. Uh, and this is, this is actually, I like reading this stuff too here, Caleb. Okay. It just gives you a little bit of an idea of how it was received. Ready Player One premiered at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas on March 11th, 2018 and was theatrically released by Warner Brothers Pictures in the United States March 29th, 2018. So pretty close to a year ago. Yeah. In 2D reels, whatever, blah, 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 blah. It grossed over 582 million and received generally positive reviews. Critics praised its visuals, brisk pacing, the performances of Sheridan and Rylance, and the many cultural references from various media. The film was noted to have significant differences from the book. Some critics said the film's plot was an improvement over the source material. That's, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. It also received nominations at the 91st Academy Awards, Critics' Choice Awards, and a bunch of other garbage we don't care about. Okay, so generally what we do here is we flip the puppet to determine who goes first. Now, do you have a preference? Do you want to go second to follow up my thoughts or do you want to go first i'll go second okay so we're we'll flip the puppet there you go that's literally this is how we do it we just go like that and then it just kind of and then it's face up or face down you just know okay so my only my only real uh backstory with ready player one was that i heard it reviewed i listened to a film okay. review podcast uh kermode mayo's film review from the BBC, I listen to it religiously every single week. It's like a two-hour podcast. Oh my goodness. It's phenomenal. It's these two British guys, one's just the presenter and one reviews the movies. And they're super funny. They review everything. Everything that comes out. Like every... I'm telling you, everything. Unless it's like a really obscure like Bollywood movie that's come out or something like that. But like... That's a fair point. All of the top ten, all the new releases, a bunch of art house stuff... I've discovered one of my favorite movies of all time, Embrace of the Serpent. Did you watch that with us? Yeah, I did. He, that's it was where great. I, yeah, that's where I found out about it. Okay. Um, and I, I guarantee you I would have never heard about it otherwise. But loads of loads of movies that that uh, Mark Kermode introduced me to. So I heard his review of it. It was generally positive. He did enjoy it. And I didn't... It's, it's not really the kind of movie that I would seek out. Hmm on my own unless sometimes i'm just kind of in a blockbuster mood and ready That's player fair. one has always struck me as like you know uh, just a blockbuster i didn't you, you think you're gonna see a lot of big explosions yeah and... yeah which you do yeah. you do you do you do see a huge amount of those um 
So the you know the movie as you as we just read there is kind of uh, the, the Ty Sheridan the the main character the kind of underdog character who you're rooting yes. for lives in this futuristic like trailer park kind of setting with like all these literally literally trailers yeah like, they call it the stacks yeah stacked on top of each other in these big towers very very cool this kind of a cool intro scene where he like repels down it with like a chain and some sort of counterbalance and that sort of thing and uh i enjoy it like that's there's a very kind of cavalier kind of off the cuff uh kind of hollywood aesthetic to it where it's like yeah you know yo what's up i'm the cool guy it's like it's like what's his name in back to the future what is the main character's name martin fly yeah <laughs> <laughs> another movie that i watched and i was like yeah that's a cool movie um based a lot of wade's character on yeah. it actually really is that true? well a lot of the inspiration like in the books and stuff like that was an underdog kind of geeky character but one that you can still relate to right and so that's because the cool thing about movie. marty mcfly is that he's kind of he's not really he's not a loser he's not one of the cool kids but he's, he's still average. cool he's still cool he's got that poise mm. and i definitely got that with uh the the character of wade the first thing somewhat obviously that struck me about uh ready player one is that it's um some of the most immaculate animation that's ever been put on screen huge part of what i was going to talk about actually like it's, i would say since like avatar yeah this has been the next best best thing compared to like avatar which is 2012 and it still holds up you want to know something never seen avatar we're gonna do an episode never seen that. Avatar. we're gonna do an episode because <laughs> i would love to sit down and chat about that but... i'm interested i'm interested is that also spielberg it is isn't it? i think it is yeah he, it is he just does a really good job with cg movies he did a very good job with this and i found myself kind of um like you don't you don't spend the whole movie going wow this is animated you know and that's kind of that's impressive but i did find myself going like wow how did they how do you act what did this look like when they were doing the filming because you we all know the motion track suits with the balls on it and that sort of thing is that really what they did for like 90% 90% of this movie for a lot of it, it yeah. a lot of it was just done in mocap and like I think they built like proxy sets so mm-hmm. it wasn't just them standing in a flat room but I just I don't understand I just don't understand how people can how people can act to anything short of like this like a real room that they're sitting in a full set I know a lot of times in movies it's like a half set yeah where the it's cut off and you got cameras are roaming around I don't understand how people do it so for this to sit and watch a movie where I'm sure it's kind of minimal interaction with uh, the environment. The environment yeah. is very impressive and never did it really. You don't, I didn't get a lot of the kind of um, subpar acting and reacting mm-hmm. to you. You didn't get, I didn't get hardly any of that really. It never, that was never something that I felt, weakened the strength of the performances they definitely did a really good job with that because there's times where you can see stuff where they're in mocap and you're like they're lacking a lot of the interactions like one of the earliest ones between uh artemis and wade when she like d uh statics his hair mm-hmm, yeah and it falls down like his reaction looks genuine like he's actually there and his hair actually just got matted down by a pretty girl and they did they did they do a great job too of making the oasis look like a video game from the future they i do. mean have you played red dead redemption 2 
I am not. Okay, so I I am at the very very tail end of the epilogue of the game, and I'm just dragging it out. We got it in November. We got it oh my like goodness. the you day it launched. Finished it, and I can't like I can't do it. I can't finish it. Like I I'm dragging it out extravagantly. But playing that game, you go you know wow, it is the most photorealistic game I have ever played. I mm. think it's probably the most photorealistic game that exists, especially on the scale that it exists. Yeah, definitely. And up you to can date. literally go into a town and you can look at that house and a guy will come out of that house, might have a couple NPC kind of lines, and he will go to his job building that building over there and he will, you know, spend the rest of the day, however many in game. Like, if it's an in-game, like, two hours for a day or whatever. Yeah. And he'll spend that time, like, working on that building. And then he'll go to the bar and get some drinks. And then he'll go home. Like, that's literally what we're talking about in terms of the realism of Red Dead 2. But they did a great job, I think, of making the um, animation and the texture of the Oasis look yes. like the future of games. The future where... of games and even... You, like I could argue like it looks kind of just like a futuristic civilization that's why it's like also blowing like mind-blowing for it because like the hub world you see them come into it's got yeah. all the banners and stuff I was like this looks like it could be a very real place but I love how they have a real kind of hodgepodge of different characters like that yeah. you see running around you've got people who are kind of cartoony looking and people who are very photorealistic and people who are kind of a little bit exaggerated and cell shaded. And then you've got yeah. people who are kind of pixelated and that, that kind of like customization is kind of somewhat, unfortunately what the future of games is all about, especially online multiplayer games. Do you yeah. have much experience? With... Online multi... Yeah. Online multi... Yes. Cause I have <laughs> yes. literally almost none. So I, and I don't think that that really hampered my, cause I mean, I understand them. I play video games and I played like this, this much of, um, really old online multiplayer, like fantasy yeah. role-playing games when I was probably 15 years old. So, you know, I have, I have experience with just the idea of spawning into the hub and yeah. choosing your server and where you want to go and man it's really crowded here let's go find somewhere else and everybody's looking for some kind of rare item you know mm -hmm. uh also uh, just a couple little th these are a couple little things that i enjoyed about it um i think truthfully and i'm not joking and i've seen i haven't seen the original original from like the 40s but i think that this movie that ready player one has in it the best looking and best behaving King Kong that I've ever seen in any movie. I would say, have you seen a Skull Island? Skull Island. Yeah. You think it's better than that? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> I really do. I think it it's more classic. It's more mm. stylish, and uh, for you know what it was, which was it's like a little obstacle. Well, it's not a little obstacle. <laughs> it's Kong. a big but, obstacle. But it's an obstacle in like a racetrack. Basically, is what King Kong yeah. is in this in this movie and but he just looked great the motion was awesome the weight was really there and with kong skull island i felt like it was a little weight less yeah at, he seems very he's, light he's and flimsy too big almost and it's just like this planetary like slow you know yeah which i always it doesn't make sense to me if you have a giant in a movie they always move really slowly 
even though they would move at They'd the move same speed or faster. Like, yeah, people with longer legs run faster than people with short legs. Can you imagine how fast a giant could run? That's <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't make any that's sense. That's that's very and true. And in every movie, the giants are like, Whoa, and they move so slowly. That being so, said, Godzilla it, moves really fast, but it's just because he takes huge steps yes, very slowly. Yeah. But so anyway, I really like that. There's a reference to a really classic and underrated sci-fi movie, Silent Running. When they're going through a bunch of the spaceships that the one character H has, oh yeah, he's got um, the uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called now, but got the the ship from Silent Running, and then of course, I mean, it's a little bit of a centerpiece in the movie, so I won't talk like in depth about it. But The Shining, have you seen The Shining? Yes, good, excellent. I was as I was watching it, I was just sitting there going, I hope caleb has seen the shining shining. because like my appreciation for their recreation of the elevator scene and the twin girls i got a big thing i was wondering if they it's the original movie that's what i was wondering and they they did a lot of a lot of hefty work into getting their characters into it yeah to making the space 3d again (laughs) and that's that's actually crazy because i was watching it going like it's amazing those twin girls look like exactly the same they look their motion the way they turn together i've seen the i've seen the shining a, a number of times i have it on blu-ray i've only seen it once but you can even tell like when they walk in yeah immediately you can tell it's the original because the grain mm-hmm, the yeah. grain in the actual like environment where they kind of stick out but mm-hmm. the rest of it is this grainy kind of video footage but it's still really good and i was so appreciative with like how they did all of that how they ran it they basically just started throwing their character animations into the movie and figuring out how to get it to work properly yeah how to how to make them look entrenched in it so i i was blown away by that even Mm. i was sitting there going how how honestly how did they do this and I was thinking, like, that has to be. Like, at least they, they had to have reused some of the assets or something. But you are really missing that, like, uh, <laughs> Space Jam's vibe where, like, you know, the cartoon character kind of, like, dances weightlessly across a, a physical floor. Yeah, they have. And, I mean, oh, I'm not at all drawing parallels between this movie and Space, Space Jam. Jam but, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I think that my my easy highlight for casting and for acting in this movie goes to Mark Rylance portraying yeah. um uh, James Halliday who's yeah. the game's creator he is um actually amazing like he's his portrayal of somebody who is incredibly brilliant kind of Steve Jobsy and like arguably like maybe autistic or something because he's yeah, so awkward and closed off but he's still a nice guy and he doesn't have a whole lot to do in the movie in terms mm. of screen time or lines or something. But, I mean, Mark Rylance, have you seen Bridge of Spies? I have not. Oh, my God. Mark Rylance plays in it opposite Tom Hanks okay. as a spy that they capture. And Mark Rylance, again, is the centerpiece of it. And he's mm. this beautiful, kind of like mellow, soft-spoken, very wise, very sharp, very shrewd spy. And, like, everything... Uh, this this movie made me want to find everything Mark Rylance has ever been in and just binge it all. Because the guy is... Like, I mean, it's not an Oscar-worthy performance, but it's a Best Supporting Actor contender, Definitely. for sure. He really... His character isn't in it a ton, 
Yeah. But when his character is in it, he holds your attention. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and you you fully believe that he's a genius. Oh yeah. Like there's no question. The in way your mind. he's able to just articulate and his posture and the way that like he just is and interacts with everyone else is phenomenal. And they actually base his character off of Ernest Klein did this in his book. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh Halliday was based off of um Willy Wonka. Oh yeah, okay. So the uh the original um And they wanted to get him I forget what oh, his what's name his is. his name? Garbage. I, I sw- did I write it down? <laughs> That's super interesting because he's really he's got kind of I mean Willy Wonka is so much more um of an exhibitionist mm-hmm. than than Halliday is, but uh But if you think of how he interacts Gene Wilder. Gene That's Wilder. What, I could yeah. not remember that. <laughs> Who do you, you know that Gene Wilder like absolutely ripped on the Johnny Depp I'm not version surprised. of it? Like he came out and just rained fire and brimstone on it's it. It's because it was Tim Burton though. Like but, Tim Burton does Tim. And Burton. also because Gene Wilder is like ten times the Willy Wonka that Johnny Depp could ever be. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. But uh but, they originally were trying to get Gene Wilder cast, but he had officially retired from acting and he wasn't gonna come out even though this was like very light shooting. Like Gene Wilder's mm-hmm, pretty yeah. old now, and so then you're finding Mark Ryland. You said that's Mark Ryland's, yeah. Mark Ryland's does he a was, great job, and honestly, every time like, I think about it, I just know he's supposed to be like a genius Willy Wonka now. Yeah, and it makes it almost well, like a little more fun to. It's interesting that you say the Willy Wonka parallel because the you the, see it when you think of the, the whole, Oasis, though. Well, the whole thing is very Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and trying to find these. The, the whole the whole plot basically is I mean we read it a little bit but it was explained very vaguely yeah they want to find these three keys and whoever finds these three keys first uh, wins this quite Easter literal egg. Easter egg which is kind of a, a pun for for an in joke or something hidden in a video game but you find this Easter egg and you become the major shareholder of because the uh, Oasis James Holiday's character the premise is he dies at the start. Yeah. And he made this competition so that somebody who was of the same nature and, like, felt the same, the same way. same inquisitive yeah. spirit. And, and also, like, did enough research and, like, was smart enough and looked enough and tried hard enough to get his control of Gregarious Games, which is the big company that right. created the Oasis. Yeah. And so it's basically, like, one big competition, but it stopped being like very light like people being like oh yeah maybe i'll do this and get far and it started being these very dedicated people going into it which like makes it a little bit more fun because it has real life parallels of people who do nothing except try to find very specific things in games like easter eggs that are actually hidden in game which it's vaguely based off of well not vaguely but based off of and even people who do something like speed running who dedicate like years of their life to like one thing to get it perfect and so i really like that because it was a good representation without being overly game heavy like you can watch the movie having not played any other video game than like mario kart 64 yeah and you will still enjoy the movie because it'll go you'll still understand it you'll You'll understand, understand and i just felt it was very well written with like some of the cultural references in it. You don't need to be like a video game lover to get it. Like the shining 
Mm-hmm. It's a pretty yeah. prevalent part. In, well, it's a lot like, of 80s. The second act. It's a huge amount of 80s, 70s references throughout the whole movie, which yeah. I which I also enjoyed. Now, here's the part where we get into some of my some of the things I enjoyed less about the movie. My overall my I'll give you my overall impression at the end. Go for it. So sometimes I found so Ty Sheridan's character Wade narrates a lot of the movie, and sometimes I found myself going, you know, you don't have to explain that that explicitly. Mm. Like you don't have to tell me exactly. You know, I mean, I I have more of an understanding of video games and online games than maybe your average layman. Or maybe your average, you know, 45-year-old who might be going to watch this movie. Yeah. But sometimes it did feel a little on the nose. And I think a little less explanation in parts creates a richer story. And it it forces you to do harder work to explain something indirectly. Yeah. It's a bit more of a rewarding thing. Uh, That's, it's not, I mean, this movie is not trying to be... It wasn't trying to win Oscars for anything aside from visuals. So I, I forgive it for that. Um... Uh, Olivia Cook and Ty Sheridan, both very serviceable kind of like leads. Part of me wished that they had been a bit more, uh, <laughs> I don't want to use the word ugly, but I wish that they had been a little less attractive. So huge part of the book yeah, is actually Wade Watts mm-hmm. is fat. Really? To, for the first like half of the book, he is really overweight like explicitly says he's overweight because he doesn't have that running trackpad in his thing that he's just awesome. got his gloves and goggles and he the only exercise he gets is he has a little bike hooked up to a battery inside of that van that he's in yeah. that he pedals for like an hour yeah. and then it's got the charge for the day and that's yeah. all that he does and and, and he plays this game that was something that. Uh, something else I, that it doesn't it doesn't bug me because it's sci-fi but I'm like, if you don't have this, this what they refer to as an omnidirectional treadmill to run around on, I'm like, how are you getting anywhere in this game? It's like, the whole premise is it's completely immersive virtual reality. So you put on this headset, you've got, you know, the, the wealthy people have like a full body suit, gloves yeah. on with finger articulation and that sort of thing. And they're running on these omnidirectional treadmills to get places in the game. And I'm like, do, are, do they, are they holding little... Um, like we kind of controllers in their hands like what yeah. like, i'm sure that sounds like something that the book would explain a bit more yeah it's but... a it's a little different in the book like they basically described it as like having almost a virtual controller for that stuff and like okay being able to like use your hands and stuff to move yourself around like you make the walking motion and that's when you start actually right. like walking if you don't have mm-hmm. these like trackpads because that stuff all does like exist in the book and it's way more in depth and a lot more goes into it oh yeah wade ends up going completely bald like head to toe no skin like no hair on his body because of the haptic suit fits on better and he gets more sensory input from it if it's right if he's flushed if to he's his skin naked, basically yeah and yeah. so so there, there's like a whole <laughs> so, like so wow yeah he's complete like he's completely naked in the suit and like yeah. at one point it even references to him like only getting out of like only being legitimately naked to shower and use this shampoo that's like nair and takes all of the hair off of his body yeah wow. and it's it's just an insane part so yeah i mean that that was one of my issues is that you know and there's this kind of throwaway moment where um the artemis character played by olivia 
Cook is insecure about this birthmark on her face, which lasts all of about literally 30 seconds yeah. where she has her bangs kind of covering this and it blows up thing and then he goes you know you're beautiful and then they never talk about it again and she seems totally fine with it and so in the book she does have that birthmark yeah and i i honestly wish that they had done a bit more to it it's yeah. just a, it's a very light mm-hmm. pink mark mm-hmm. and it's nothing like really that anybody would be ashamed about like sure yeah. it's a bit of like a oh at first but immediately after you're like yeah, this, this yeah. is her character. Yeah. She's still an attractive young lady. Exactly. And yeah. I wish that they had darkened it. And, like, the size of it was good. I just wish they had just darkened it Made it, it a little some... more gruesome. Ma- well, made it a little honestly. more, like, face birthmarky that yeah. you see in actual people. <laughs> yeah. You don't really see this light red patch. You usually see yeah. something darker blue or purple. Yeah. And that was something I did have a qualm about as well. Yeah. I was like, uh And, and this, this next, my next little quibble is a slight one but there's they the big corporation who's trying to find all these clues and they've got endless resources and stuff there's one the final puzzle involves like vintage kind of nes games and that sort of thing and it bothered me that somebody comes up to this big like uh boardroom table and dumps this armload of cartridges which at this point would be 80 years old and yeah. they're already expensive now in 2019 and they just take them and they just go onto this boardroom table this is all we've got and i sat there and went <gasps> like do you have any those are like faberge eggs in 2050 man like those would be yeah pretty so, much and that, i mean that's a completely like that's a very geeky uh qualm to have with it but i i i had like a little like leap in my chest when they just dump all these cartridges out in, in no boxes or protective anything yeah just, nothing apparently they're totally worthless um although the oasis goes to explain that a little bit better is basically all of that stuff like every game and media thing this is something it says in the books and not in it's the movie. all digitized basically yeah every yeah. consumable content or thing is available in the oasis yeah because gregarious games got like so big that they basically just bought up all the rights to stuff everything it independently like owns it yeah. technically and they still make money off of it or whatever that but it's like that. it's as if netflix, everything's yeah. netflix gained a complete monopoly on every filmed every everything, everything filmed yeah it's all there and then basically they're the same thing with like everything filmed everything like every book every game yeah like, that's all included in the entertainment yeah but yeah uh the nolan sorrento character this big baddie um he i mean you know, and this goes back to what I was saying about blockbusters. This is a, a blockbuster. It's very Spielbergian, yeah. as they would say. A, a totally kind of 2D uh, villain. I mean, they kind of give him some cowardice, but all all big corporate villains like this kind of have that in yeah. movies where they kind of cower at the end and kind of give up and go, oh, you know, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yeah, it feels um, very much like that. But I really just didn't understand, like, who he was as a person they they give him a little backstory by saying he was an intern for uh mark rylance's character the guy who invented yeah. the oasis so maybe he has some bitterness there because mark rylance because uh halliday wouldn't listen to his ideas but it was kind of like okay why is this guy so hell-bent i get you know they and they also do a throwaway thing where they're like we figured out exactly how many pop-up ads we can fit on the Without before inducing yeah, before inducing, which is kind of funny, but uh, it's a good throw. It's a good gag, but you know, apart from that and the obvious like huge wealth, he just he has this emotional investment 
in mm-hmm. gaining control of the Oasis that I didn't really, the movie didn't properly understand that, or understand, didn't properly make me understand that or explain it enough for me. Yeah. In the um, books, he's a little less 2D. Yeah. And you, he, it is like, oh yeah, he was an intern, but he more got like just turned down constantly because he thought of the Oasis as a big monopoly and wanted to abuse that basically. Yeah. And so when, oh yeah, the creators him, of it, you see him talking to Halliday, like suggesting platinum and gold memberships yeah, exactly. and that sort of thing, and Halliday just goes, "Thanks for the coffee," kind of thing. You exactly. Know? And so that uh. It, it kind of puts a divide and it, like a clear divide between him and like any of the other characters in the game and James Halliday and Mark Ryland's character because yeah. he Sorrento is looking at it like this is something that we can just milk for everybody in the world's money yeah. and Which Halliday is, is li- yeah literally and Halliday is just like yeah this is uh, something for people who like games who just want to escape the world like I did and yeah. things like that. And also, one thing they don't explain, to get into the Oasis, it's a one-time payment of 25 cents because he was heavily influenced by arcade machines and stuff like that right. as a kid. Yeah, yeah, okay. They don't say that, and it's just a really cool that kind fact. Of, that kind of bums me out because a quarter plays a huge part in the movie. Exactly. And that's like why a big, it's a bit it's more a big fun. big deal, yeah. Um and but all this this whole you know the Sorrento's kind of um, drive to do this kind of ties in with my main issue of the movie. And this is not necess- again. This is something that I I felt like would have been far better, far better covered in the books. But the stakes for you know the Oasis for these kids winning it over these corporate big wigs who want to exploit it for money or is that they did not at all do a good enough job of making the real world earth seem like something you'd really want to escape from the stacks everything like that i get it it's a ghetto it's literally pretty much a garbage dump he you know uh wade climbs over huge mounds of wrecked cars like like a a scrapyard to get to his apartment and that sort of thing. It's a little hideaway. And there's kind of a cartoony sequence where his he lives with his aunt and his aunt's boyfriend is like abusive for a second, but he you know, then he <laughs> then his aunt just sends him to his room. Like I'm like, okay, how bad can it be? She just you know, she clearly kind of wears the pants in at least some regard here. So I just felt like, um you know, so what if these guys get control of the oasis? Just turn it off. And I get, you know, you see everybody plays. Everybody's mm. involved with this. And they say there are, you know, casinos. There's, like, uh, there's uh, golf resorts. There's vacation planet, yeah. that sort of thing. And I wish we had seen more of why that was so vital to humanity at this point in time. Because it just, the only the only glimpses we got of the real world were, like, when Wade finally meets uh, Samantha, his his good friend and the love interest in real life. And it's a beautiful touching moment. They're on this rooftop with plants around them or when everybody in the real world kind of comes together and like the real world was only shown in these kind of happy scenarios, except for the, when, you know, Wade gets kind of slapped by his abusive step uncle. Yeah. It was weird. So I, that was my, 
biggest, I just went, you know, I don't, I mean, they tell you what the stakes are. They tell mm. you that the game's important, but I, it just didn't have enough gravity for me. Overall, these are my closing thoughts. Overall, I thought it was a great movie. I had a huge amount of fun watching it. Um, it's not like up in my top, you know, however many movies of all time or whatever, mm. but beautifully beautifully realized world in terms of the oasis definitely felt like an extreme far future version of like massive online multiplayer games that we have now and uh the depiction of that central kind of genius by mark rylance i thought was like absolutely flawless like his his character did so much for my engagement in the movie and making me feel like there was somebody who actually kind of masterminded this whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a phenomenally, I thought it was a great movie, a great blockbuster movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I just wish that they had done like, I, I wish that the main characters hadn't been so attractive, but I mean, what you going to do? It's Spielberg. It's, it's, it's hard know, to get away from that. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, and yeah, I just really wish that they had made the real world seem crappy enough that you'd go, wow, I really wish that we were back in the Oasis right now, you know, but yeah. I will, and I will say this too, when, when they step out of the Oasis for some, uh, plot reasons kind of later in the movie, I was sitting there going, okay, like, when are we going to get back in there? Like, I kind of miss it, you know, like, so all of this stuff outside is kind of a little drawn out and a little bit, like, like it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but the, the Oasis does have fun. so much flair yeah. and and so much kind of video gamey coolness. They, they were doing a lot of like distracted driving though in that race. <laughs> and I was like, that, that just, and I was like, that's, that would not be how you'd design that game. You like open your door to collect these coins and then you have to kind of like swipe this thing and like add them to your bank. Cause they, I was like, whoo, that's asking for, you know, some high speed, like traffic accidents. Oh, it's just, in the game, no, I know, I know. But I was just watching it getting like a little stressed out. But there's some great moments in that opening yeah. race, I even have to say, like, mm -hmm. visually, like, he, Wade, the main character, drives a Mandalorian, specifically the one from Back to the Future, and but it looks great. Is it, is it, it is. Uh, because I noticed the red lights on the front of it that kind of go back and forth, and that looks like Kit from the 1980s TV show Knight Rider. I didn't a even great see deal. I didn't Let's, see We'll that. do a quick Google search, because we are... Uh, Sitting in front of the computer. Yeah, and we have that kind of available. Well, I know what Kit from Knight Rider looks like. You'll yeah, have to. So he's got these red lights here that go kind of go. Oh, I think it's a. He's got a hood, like uh, the Aaron takes up there. So I think that's where something like that. Yeah, is. but he specifically has this strip of red lights on his car. Go to Ready Player One DeLorean. Okay, Ready Player. I'm just gonna do Ready Player One car. Because I thought, you know, it looked kind of Mad Maxi. It looked kind of... Uh, it's such a fun race to watch, though. It's a great race to watch, and it's it's very cool. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. So, hmm. he's totally got that kind of... But it is a DeLorean. Yeah, it, like it's and it's got the... And the gullwing uh, doors and everything. The hyperdrive in the back seat, mm -hmm, along with yeah. all of, like, the wiring. But I thought that that was kind of a cool touch. I went, oh, is that the Knight Rider car when I saw it? Which is probably nothing that people my 
my age would generally <laughs> would generally go, oh, it's Knight Rider. I, hey, even, I know what Knight I Rider is. Seen, I love Knight Rider. I haven't even seen Knight Rider. Really? No. Oh, that's great. great. Okay, so. Who would recommend? Go ahead. I've gone way too long with my review, but that's it's It's a for. movie that there's a lot to say about in reality. It's, I mean, it's just, it's very vibrant. It's yeah. very, there's a lot that is packed into it. So, I loved Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. It was a great film in and itself, and also as a book adaptation, like, yeah, book to film, it was very loyal and did a lot of things right. Okay. One of the big issues, a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about is kind of book. There is some acting things, but... But uh, honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested to hear you talk about the book, yeah. because I have not read it. So, the book is more of a mature book like there's a lot of swearing and stuff in it that they couldn't include them in the movie because it has a pg-13 rating yeah they get one f-bomb yeah and i really really enjoyed the movie it made me feel all kinds of ways like when i was reading the book Mm -hmm. and ready player one as a book was the first one to have me like for the first time in a long time to have me so emotionally invested in what was going on yeah that i read the book in three days Wow, that's awesome. I would like stay I would start reading at like 11:30 and I'd stay up till 3. Yeah. And I'd be like, "Oh crap." And I remember mm-hmm. the night that I finished the book, I started reading at 11 and I read till like 4:30 a.m. Yeah. And I had to wake up at like 7 for school and I was like, "It was worth it." Yeah. And the way it just makes you feel when I watched the movie for the first time, I was like, I'm feeling the exact same way I did wow. when I read the book. Wow. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing feeling. And so was the writing. So I, I was talking about this with our mutual friend, Abigail, mm. um, writing styles, uh, in, in a lot of cases, and I've been especially cognizant of this with my, with my writing kind of can, can go in one of two directions in terms of, in terms of how they are descriptively and that can go in a very image-based writing style or a very story-based writing style a very story-based writing style would be something like i don't have you read any of the lord of the rings stuff the hobbit okay so but the hobbit's still perfectly fine Mm -hmm. or or like a lot of stuff from british writers so even the chronicles of narnia something like that they don't spend um you know pages with really prosaic poetic descriptions of you know the the environment or yeah. something like that they they are much more focused on what the what the characters are doing whereas a lot of american writers i found and i wonder if it's a correlation with the rise of cinema are very image centric so okay. would you say cuz i know the book's written by an american and is written in 2011 yeah. is it more image centric or is it more story centric? So this is where the entire book being a huge amalgamation of uh, pop cultural references comes in handy. Yeah, he didn't have to describe all of that much. Yeah, because he could just say it's this thing from this media. Yeah, and all of a sudden, like even if you didn't immediately know it, usually the name like oh something from Star Wars. Like if you notice the fortress tragic is mm-hmm. the star wars episode three it's where darth vader's like lair becomes it's where he falls into the lava that's okay what, that's what planet oh, doom is okay or I at mean, least it's what it is in the books it looks slightly different like in this, kind of what it's modeled but after that's what it is in the books Interesting. and so you okay. know exactly 
what this place looks like in the books and then very cool so he he more or less creates a collage then really and it's it's such a very great way to write because transferring that to cinema again yeah works out perfectly wow and so yeah a lot of really great elements there and then the way that he does it is it's the images and the story since it's being played in a video game you need to kind of get both yeah and it just felt amazing because like the time that they did spend in the real world was Mm -hmm. pretty similar to what you see in like you read in the book is pretty similar to what you see in the movie yeah and i really really enjoyed that and then with the climax of the movie at that point i was like just smile ear to ear i was just so excited it started differently and had very different elements compared to the book okay but uh i still really really enjoyed it so does he spend i can't remember the author's name right now but what's his name uh ernest klein yeah does does klein spend more time in describing a world from which people want to escape uh yeah like the stacks is pretty well like how you'd imagine it but like the rest of the world is described of like kind of the entire world and a lot of america has kind of turned into a third world country in a lot of spots because i'm like i just i didn't get that the closest thing to that that you get is uh like the second act of the movie when he gets kidnapped and you start seeing like the rebel base and like you see it's a ton of tents and garbage yeah yeah but you spend no time in that environment. They so you don't... really just gloss over they it. They did. And that's a big part of why and people And I would have loved to see him, you know, with his aunt and his aunt's abusive boyfriend, like, eating some kind of, like, really repulsive meal. And, I w- again, I wish Ty Sheridan looked maybe a little malnourished, maybe not quite as well groomed as he does. They put glasses on him to kind of make him uglier. But, like, yeah. you know. Well, and even in the books, it's funny because uh, his Oasis goggles adjust for his eyesight is something that they do. Yeah. Because of how they project, like, the environment in. Yeah. Um, and also in the books, you hate his aunt. Oh, yeah. Like, she sucks. She literally siphons him for money. Like, he has a computer at the start of it. Yeah. And he's watching, like, a ton of, like, old 80s, like, shows and stuff on it that he torrents off the internet. And then she walks in on him sleeping on top of the dryer and washer. Yeah. Takes it, but he has like a, basically a kill code where it just wipes the entire computer. It's like, yeah. Control, delete, essentially. Yeah. And you just hate his aunt. Like she's just doing everything for herself so so she can like just buy herself like these different commodities. And the person you love is, you know, that lady on the bottom floor that she's like, good morning, Wade. And like, yeah, she just, yeah. So, a little bit of a spoiler of a bit into the movie is, when that explosion happens, she dies. And she's the character that you feel very upset about because you're like, this is like the only person who's nice to him. She would feed him when his aunt wouldn't. Yeah. And stuff like that. And you're like, you, there's more emotional depth to it than the whole aunt, Which is almost always the case with books, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I would definitely say... He does a really good job of giving an explanation of how the world looks and then just playing in that environment. Okay. So if something does happen with the environment, it goes on. But he'll describe the area they're in very briefly to where you get all of the elements Mm -hmm. and then they'll just start going in it. So he, he finds a really nice medium of it. Yeah. 
it's it's not like these big paragraphs it's like short paragraph couple sentences long and then you're on to like the action of the actual scene yeah so it's kind of like he does opening shots for it in the book interesting yes uh you reference the whole his uncle smacking him or his step uncle smacking him Whatever and being a cartoonish is, yeah. scene i hated that scene yeah okay with a burning passion because the rest of the movie is very well acted and all is <laughs> is so the, well done the punch the, the, that he throws the, yeah the like... punch is so cartoonish <laughs> he hits the ground and he just sounds like what he says coming up to like you wouldn't have beaten my friends you noob yeah. like that that whole that yeah. whole scene just feels so awkward it was and, very weird yeah i i just didn't like how it was shot. It's almost like we need some conflict so i'm gonna i'm steven spielberg i'm gonna write this up in five minutes and then and we're it just was gonna awful. we have no time left to shoot we're way over budget let's just let's so... t- go with the first take kind of thing yeah it was weird it, it feels out of place and then there's another part i'm not gonna say it though because it's like quite spoilerish but yeah. it's when they're in a van and yep. artemis exclaims something you're just like huh that yeah. feels really weird yeah yeah like <laughs> yeah um but overall like i really really loved it and one thing i wish they had gone into more because in the books it's phenomenal yeah that's me um i'm just gonna throw it on the floor <laughs> Instagram's bad. Um, <laughs> Phone vibrations, everybody. Sorry about that. I'm not that. sure if they're coming through. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, in the book, they really go in depth with the key stuff. Okay. And like all of the clues and breaking it down is such a journey in the books. And it's so much fun. And there's like certain clues are different where they included some things, but they didn't include others. And include the clue. Well, like parts of the clue. Like, I know that was just a good pun. It's just, I was, yeah, that was, yeah. Okay. Anyway, hilarious. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Whoosh! <laughs> right over my head for that one. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but he, there's a part in the book where you know the Rush album, two thousand one hundred and twelve. Yep. So there's a part in the book where one of the ways to get like the second part of a clue is he plays the overture to that song mm. on like a rush themed world. Oh wow. Where you uh, I think it's it's been a while since I've read the book but mm-hmm. there's like they have an album cover that's a waterfall. Yeah. with something like hidden behind it. Yeah. Basically goes into something like that. There's a guitar like sword in the stone Arthur style like King Arthur style. Yeah. And he goes in and it turns out he used the Oasis to learn guitar so he didn't have to use like a bot and then he just plays the overture to that and just like has this whole scene by himself inside of this waterfall just ripping on a guitar. And it's huh. the cool... Like, it was so much fun to read. Yeah. Because of, like, just the way that it's r- so well written. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And so I wish they had gone more into the clues. Because huh. the third clue is pretty well glossed over completely. It is kind of funny. Like, they go... uh these incredibly you know they're like somebody found the first one but nobody can nobody was able to crack it and then in a matter of it seems like in the in the world in a couple of days or maybe a couple weeks like all three of the clues have been that's that's kind of like they just blast through the second one and then the third one's kind of like you know like it's it's yeah it's almost um i don't want to say it's a mcguffin but it's almost uh more incident like the the solving of it 
the mm. coming to the end it gets of it, real easy. It's just, yeah, it just seems easy. In the books, it's all. I think that's where it had said it was a better adaptation than the books. Is in the books, it's a little drawn out, yeah. but it's it's you're you're feeling the characters' agony of going over all of these elements in the clues because yeah. they're a lot more in depth and crazier and uses a different movie. Uh, yeah. I think you know it. It's called blade runner i think you've heard of it uh, <laughs> yes. yeah i have heard of it yeah, yeah. it's a very very heavy element <laughs> that's one of my favorite movies. i know that's why i, I said yeah, it like yeah, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but um i feel like i'm just rambling on because there's so there's so much in that book no you're doing well um but the way that the clues make you feel and the book has got a bit of a darker tone in like the middle section of it where Everyone leaves Wade. Yeah. Like, he is completely on his own. Mm-hmm. Everyone basically disowns him because he becomes a dick. Yeah. And so, in like, in the movie, none of that ever happens, and there's never any real He just becomes incre- in- increasingly kind of, like, popular and well-liked. And, and for somebody who, I mean, you have to, you have to think, well, he's got some social skills from being in the Oasis, mm-hmm. but he's giving these big grandstanding, um, you know, men of uh, Rohan kind of style speeches. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, and sure, so... sure you're this gamer dude, but, you know, why, why are you now like this leader of men kind of thing? Yeah, and in the book, it makes sense because it's not like, oh yeah, this happens over a two-week period. It's like, oh yeah, this happens over, I think it's like a year and a half in the book, Yeah, which makes sense because the clues are way more confusing. Okay, and yeah, yeah. It also goes into like the Oasis world building a bit more in the book, which is a lot of fun to just read through and some of the funny like comeuppance that happen and you can tell from the book, like in the book that you, you kind of wish you saw in the movie. Yeah. And I definitely felt that way sometimes, but uh, it was just, the clues were a lot more fun. It was a darker tone in the books for sure. Yeah. Like, if they did a completely accurate version, it would probably be rated... What's below R? 18. 18? 18A, yeah. So it'd be like an 18A movie. Yeah. Because there's no real sex or over-violence because of the character inventory exploding instead of people getting all bloody and gross. Yeah. I did like that though. It's a really cool Somebody dies and and gold coins and kind of It's their entire inventory shoots out. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and so it would have been definitely a darker take. They would have had a smaller audience definitely to target to like our age range of people. Mm -hmm. Um, but Wade goes through a dark time and like, he's completely abandoned stuff like that. Huge, like redemption arc for him kind of, but still like, it's just crazy how everything moves on in that book compared to the movie where it's like. Great, yeah. we're done. Yeah. But the pacing of the movie is still the very good. The pacing of the movie good. is very good. It's, it's, it's like a two hour and 30 minute movie. It's uh, I think two hour 19 maybe, including okay. credits. So two yeah. hours and 30? Two hours pretty much. Yeah. You had 19 minutes of credits probably mm, for everybody there. involved in it. it. There was a lot. Yeah, of course. But uh, it was just like I felt a little rushed just with how the clues went but mm-hmm. like you needed to for story purposes yeah. and i understand that. absolutely you can't have like a four hour but the, and this is the the difference between literature and exactly and film. you can fit a lot more in if somebody sits down and reads a book by themselves instead of everybody in a theater being like 
okay. I gotta pee. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. just a different experience, and so. And in in film too, I mean, this is kind of more broadly speaking, but in in and I'll use the word again, blockbuster yeah. film. You really, you know, you don't have time for tangents and kind of dead ends. Whereas in literature, those experiences often teach you more about the characters than, you know, getting somewhere actually mm-hmm. does, you know. And so there, that kind of thing is important to literature and can be a detriment or a downfall of cinema. Yeah, because it feels like just word vomiting at that yeah, point it's just, in the cinema. And that's why... Yeah. Even like the voiceovers that happen, like people were, some people were unhappy with that. And it's like, man, if you read the book, it is the main character just explaining things to you. Is it for... written in first person um, or third person? First. It, first? It's, it's, really? a mix of, it's a mix of the both. Huh. Well, it's like Hunger Games is written in first person. Never read them. Ah, okay. Uh, so but they are, that it's, fascinates me because it's written very well for thir- first person. Uh, first person is very trendy now. It's very unpopular to write in third person, and it's even more unpopular to write in what they call third person omniscient, where you... It's like watching a movie. Where it's like watching a movie, but you, the third person narrator who says, you know, he said this, she said that, has like intimate access, very intimate access to the character's thoughts and Mm -hmm. the past, the future of the story and that sort of thing. And it's always interesting to me to know kind of what other people are writing in. Especially for something like this. Yeah, it, it makes sense that it's written in first person. Oh, yeah. It's, it's clue solving and stuff like that. And so. it's written from, and, and the movie too is very much centered on the one character. We're with exactly. him all the time. We're very seldom, in, unless we're seeing like the bad guys or something, very seldom are we departed from Wade. Exactly. And uh, I just gotta go back to this. Um, there's, IOI holds a lot more weight in the book which I wish they had kind of delved into because I don't know if you're going to read the book. I won't spoil it. I would like to. Yeah. I, I would like, to. I won't spoil who this happens to, but a main character gets killed by IOI in the book. Okay. Like yeah. straight up murdered. Yeah. That would have added a lot more weight to them. I feel as like a big brother, scary organization. Somebody who's, yeah. Who's not afraid to, hurt and or kill these kids and like they kind of go into that but they really they still don't yeah and so uh it was just very upsetting to like have them (laughs) sorry i might i might have to cut that out i had to blow my nose so bad right there go for it and uh it was (laughs) i I get a lot of flack for how trumpety my nose blowing sounds Mm. but you know i've got experience hay fever 24 years running yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I just feel like it would have added some weight and depth to yeah. like the big bad guys instead of it being this blockbuster 2D. Yes, we want the Oasis, and this is how we're gonna do it. Like, yes, they do. And I'm blow gonna up, grab a gun and wave it around and not do anything yeah. with it, right? <laughs> that that's that was one of the things where I was like. Yeah. You could have written that so much better. Give me that. <laughs> and now I'm going to go into a bit of a tangent about the things I didn't really like. Because yeah. like, a lot of the things I liked were pretty close to the book. Mm-hmm. I will say, all of the clues in the movie, completely yep. different than the book. Really? Interesting. Except for the like rhyming riddle that the yeah, last yeah. clue has. Yep. Completely different from the book. <laughs> Interesting, okay. And also how certain coins are acquired as well. 
Okay. Um, and oh my god, just read the book, everybody. Yeah. It's so freaking good. <laughs> I can't get over it. But uh, big issue I had was with the race, the go backwards thing. Yeah. I just thought of video gamer culture. Like I said, people who devote hours to figuring out how to do a game or looking for things, assuming that nobody would ever go backwards. Yeah, you're, that's a great That point. was a huge thing where I was like, he can't be the first person. Everybody. Somebody, somebody accidentally had to have thrown their car in reverse and just go, Ooh! Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was a, it was a big old thing. And, and yeah, I mean, everybody's accidentally gone backwards in Mario Kart or purposefully and ignored the little uh, Lakitu dude on the exactly. cloud with the thing going... Yeah. Just assuming that nobody would have done that. Yeah. Especially with them being like, Halliday hated having rules and then going, except there is one rule. You can only move forwards. Like, that was that was just a big thing that I had, like, just a bit of a disagreement with. I was like, man, with gamer culture, this doesn't work. Especially future. <laughs> yeah, game future culture. gamer culture where yeah. they're fighting <laughs> for half a trillion dollars worth of shares in a company. Yeah, in the biggest company in the world. Yeah what <laughs> um but uh also the the love dynamic between <coughs> artemis and wade yeah feels just a little forced and early it and does. that's because in the book it goes a lot more in depth yeah and stuff like that it, it just goes better it almost would be better in a movie like this to uh <clears throat> to end it with kind of hints of that kind of romantic affection or that sort of thing or to like actually start it near the end and start to like yeah, roll into yeah. like they don't have to be in like a full-blown relationship yeah but like where they threw it in and how things progress from there i was like i didn't like the pacing of a relationship yeah but, but i mean you know you got two hours yeah uh so tj miller yeah yeah somebody i wanted to talk about yeah <sighs> so he does a really good job in this movie, of acting the way that his character kind of would. Yeah. But in the books... <laughs> That's your phone. Move your phone. Oh, the phone... Oh. For, for whatever reason, phone uh, signals come through the speakers. Weird. In, in you know, and I have have huge amounts of uh, experience with that in, like, band practice settings mm. where it just blasts through the PA <laughs> if your phone's anywhere near, like, a mic cable or anything yeah. like that. It's weird. Anyway... But, so, T.J. Miller's character is... I-Rock. Yeah. Did you get his name? I-Rock. I-R-O-K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... Yeah, I-Rock, yeah. His character in the book, first off, very small, only included in, like, the beginning. Okay. His character is written kind of how he is. Just kind of a tool, someone you don't (laughs) like, except, really, like, that is... His character is toxic gamer masculinity yeah okay is yeah. how is how he is written yeah uh he doesn't work for ioi in the book he's yeah. one of their friends he's one of wade and h's friends that like h is like oh yeah like i rock and stuff like that yeah and wade's like dude why do you have this guy around yeah it he sucks yeah <laughs> and uh so stuff like that goes on with this character and then i feel like they tried to kind of make him comic relief yeah which didn't work for how serious all of the moments he was in. Like, the carpal tunnel joke is a little funny. Yeah. Granted, like, it's a good one-liner and then, like, a callback. Those worked well. But the yeah. rest of it, like, his introduction to other people or, like, people he's killed. Yeah. It's just, like, 
man. Yeah. Didn't really enjoy it, and the the one role thing I his did, character played. The one thing I did find interesting about that character is it seemed to be like an old man, and I was really hoping that we were gonna see what this person actually looked like in real life and find out that it was an older guy who has this. Um, because basically, T.J. Miller's character is almost like a hired, like a like a virtual hired gun by yeah. this big corporation who's this clearly very high level, very powerful player who kind of goes around and tries to stop these kids, you know, with his in-game expertise and with the kind of jokes he's making about his age and almost the sound of his voice. I was really hoping we were going to get to see a man who is in his late 60s or something who is playing this game because I thought that's really that would be a really interesting choice. Somebody who's come through um, so many generations of video games and has this like has more of an understanding yeah. of games and the rules of games than these kids do because he was there when, I don't know, like, Modern Warfare came out. Yeah, like somebody around our age range. Yeah. In 2045, and, so. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of excited, actually, when he came on the scene and then nothing really... You never meet this character outside of the game. No. And in the books, he's written as somebody the same age as Wade and H. Okay. Um... But yeah, like he's when he talks about some like later things being a camper move, yeah, which is a actually really funny joke mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed from yeah. it because I was like, it's so true. That's a video game, um, and term. specifically specifically like online multiplayer term yeah. for somebody who sits and just kind of waits somewhere and doesn't move somewhere somewhere important or somewhere tactical and sits there and waits there and camps there. And then, you know, just shoots, people. yeah, and then just shoots people from like afar or as they come around a corner or yeah. something like that. And uh, so that was like a funny throwaway line. But in the book, he's like a camper character. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like toxic to be around. Like he just kind of like mooches XP off of his friends to get to like level 99 in the game. Yeah. And stuff like that. And you're like okay, this guy sucks, and that's just how you feel about him. Yeah. And at some point, he disappears, and you're like, this is great. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. He, he doesn't play nearly the role that he does in the movie. Interesting. Interesting choice. It's it's always interesting for me to see the, uh, the adaptations and the changes that are made. Because a lot of the times, really, when you're... And we were talking about American Gods earlier. A lot of the changes to plot or even how certain characters interact with each other can make sense for kind of a film setting and then there are some where you just go i don't really understand why you did this where you just kind of trying to fill a void in your kind of character list you know yeah and it's it's really easy to like look at that and go oh that's a bad thing they still did a really good job writing his character. They did, yeah, as absolutely. A, yeah. Just kind of like a scummy person, and I enjoyed it that way. He didn't and seem really out of place to me. Yeah, like, if you haven't read the books, yeah, you don't exactly. go, oh yeah, Irock is not supposed to be there. And also, Ogden Morrow, a character that I won't spoil anything about, mm-hmm. plays a slightly larger role in the books than he does in the movie. Ogden Morrow was... Uh, the, a co-creator. Yeah, of, of the Oasis with James Halliday, the guy yeah. who has made this big challenge they they yeah. started the game 50 50 mm-hmm. yeah and he was like the pr guy and Halliday was like the creator guy yeah um one thing that kind of upset me was 
PG-13 movies, you're allowed to say one F-bomb. Yeah. And they threw it away. I was trying just... to remember, because I, I remember what, because I just watched the movie last night, and I, I when you said, you know, they got one F-bomb, I went, oh yeah, where was that? It was a throwaway moment for a, an alright joke, and mm. it was the effing Chucky. Oh yeah, And right. it was such a waste, yeah. because of how much Wade swears in the book. Yeah. And I was like, there are so many things that they could have used it on. <laughs> and some people thought wow, that that moment yeah. was hilarious. And then other people were like, this sucks. And I'm in the camp of, this sucks. I was yeah. like, there were so many other moments to be able to use it. Yeah. Interesting. And so, uh. Because hmm. now that you say that, I totally remember that moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because you remember it. Because you go, oh, ha ha. Yeah. And you're like, oh. <laughs> well, it was, for me, it was more just like, oh, that's a cool item. You know, it's literally, it's literally a, like a. It's a Chucky doll with a knife, and you just throw it at your opponents, and it goes berserk on them. Yeah, you know? and uh, my my final thing that was, like, book to movie, still accurate, but not 100%, and this is kind of like, I was working through it chronologically, that's how I just mm-hmm. wrote written the notes when I was, like, watching the movie, I was like, oh yeah, this, 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 this. Yep. Mechagodzilla. Yes, yeah. And Wonderful. The, and, the and the Iron, Iron Giant. Giant. And yeah. you know the Iron Giant because I'm pretty sure both of them are in the commercials for the movie. I haven't are watched they? commercials in forever. The Iron Giant is, I know for sure. I feel a sneeze. <coughs> a bless you. Oh, thanks. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, was, I hope you've seen the Iron Giant. The I movie. actually haven't. Oh. And I, I've wanted to see it for my, so long uh, and I think I'm going to like... My relationship my with, um, with the Iron Giant as a movie is kind of an interesting one. I... Because when I my family doesn't have TV in the traditional sense now we don't have cable or satellite or anything like that but when I was younger we did because mm. online streaming did not exist yeah um, and uh, I remember catching snippets of the Iron Giant on YTV or something like that and being totally enchanted by it and just I couldn't you know because you don't know you, when when you're watching TV or whatever in that in that kind of mm. er, stage in that kind of era. You had to wait till a commercial break or something where they tell you the title. And I didn't figure out the title of it for like the longest time. So same as my introduction to Lord of the Rings, which I can tell you about later, which is a really kind of like a important, the Lord of the Rings and the good, the bad and the ugly are my two earliest film memories. Okay. Um, and, and very important to me, but, uh, the Iron Giant was kind of, kind of similar to that. I saw it. Uh, a number of times, and it was years, literally, before I figured out the title of it and before I saw the whole thing. And it is a totally beautiful. That's all movie. I've heard about it. Oh, it's it's, it's so gorgeous. It's so great. And so seeing the the Iron Giant kind of character as a, as a big kind of suit, it's mecha awesome. Was very cool. It was awesome. Yeah. And so the Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. This is more in the books, but after one of the challenges, you got to pick a little robot figurine. Yeah. And it had like I think a hundred options. Okay. And there was like all of these ones and when Wade gets to it, there's already ones missing, like Mechagodzilla, um, the four parts of Voltron and okay. stuff like that. Huh. Like there's there's different ones missing. Yeah. And so he picks one. I forget which one he picks. Um and he's like, Oh yeah, I like this. It's got decent stats and stuff like that. And then at that end climax scene there's basically just a giant mech battle to start it. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. And Nolan's, hmm. like, Sorrento has Mecha Godzilla, but uh, I think he actually gets the Gundam. 
Okay, yeah. Which, which was, you, that that's was a super great cool. moment. That was super cool. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved the uh, the brief flashes of kind of anime styling mm. from the one main character. It's not like overused at all. It's not heavy handed. It's, it's definitely well used. It's just a couple little it's motions, tasteful. a couple a couple motions, and then the, the <laughs> yeah, and then the, the power kind of like arms akimbo. Yeah, the power pose. Yeah, and then the Gundam kind of comes out, and I was like. Oh yes, it's such a great. And I, this is from somebody who has only like I just know Gundam. Just Same, I don't. A, yeah, but I was just Gundam like, oh yes, oh yes. It's great. You yeah, it you're so just like, cool. you just want to like start cheering, uh-huh. and uh, it's just crazy. But like, there's like a whole mech like mech scene, and what the reason I said the Voltron is because IOI has the Voltron pieces, and they all connect to make the Voltron. Oh, cool. So like. In yeah. the book, you're thinking like, "Oh yeah, all the pieces are connecting." Yeah, and this big battle ensues. Yeah, and cool. Wade does call out like, "People of the Oasis, like, mm-hmm. come here." Yeah, except yeah. it makes more sense because it's been like a year and a half. People yeah. know his name. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's just such a great, great scene. And also, uh, I just enjoy that. But that's very cool. Wade also has the power pill, mm. which is what that. The mech, the turn into any giant robot glove. Okay, it's yeah, a yeah. pill. Mm-hmm. Same effect, except he turns into Ultraman. Yeah, which is an old '60s mm-hmm. Japanese, like in the same vein of like the really old Godzilla stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's what that's what Ultraman was, and they mm-hmm. couldn't get the rights to it, and they were also like, nobody oh, in America is going to understand what Ultraman is, yeah. and so which is uh, false. <laughs> well, a lot of nerd culture um, is so pervasive. Nerd now, culture, like, but like, yeah. The majority of people yeah. would not have gotten that. Yeah. And so uh, that was definitely, like, an interesting choice. I'm glad they went the direction that they did with Gundam because, like... Oh, it was so cool. It's, it was like, you don't cool. even have to watch... Well, you don't even have to wa- have watched, like, the original Gundam animes. You just go, yeah. I've seen that before because just about everybody has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that whole scene was very well done. Yeah. And It was super mm. cool. It was super cool. Oh, it was great. Ah, uh, where was I going with this? No. <laughs> well, we were just talking about. <laughs> I mean, mechas, you know. And mechas. The... I I lost yeah. my train of thought from there. It was fine. The whole show is basically a continuous loss of train of thought. That's why I make notes kind of like uh, militantly. I should have just. <laughs> I hate my life. <laughs> is there anything more that you have that you want to say that's kind of pressing for you or do you want Um, to wrap up here i think we need to wrap up here i really enjoyed the movie and i would say for me it's in like my top 10 list but it's like the blockbuster movie that's in my top 10 list because when you read the book and then you see the movie it sounds like you've described the movie as a really cool kind of companion piece it is to the book and so, if you really enjoy a book, and then there's a movie that goes along with it very well, yeah, it just immediately doubles the movie, even if it oh, doesn't yeah. hit all of the set pieces. Because the one. subtext is in your subconscious. Exactly. Yeah. And I would just definitely recommend to everybody listening to this, please yeah. read the book. Totally. Because I haven't done it justice in what I've said. <laughs> and neither have I. But if you have read the book, or you have seen the movie, and you have any kind of 
thoughts or feedback or constructive criticism or destructive criticism, don't hesitate to get in touch with us at our Facebook page at The Good Ship Brothership or on our Instagram account at The Good Ship Brothership or our email address, which nobody uses. <laughs> I didn't know you guys had an email. Yeah, oh, yeah, which is thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com. You can email us if you want, but, you know, why would you? We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We don't have Twitter because I hate Twitter. I same. Yeah. Uh, but thanks so much for listening. This has been uh, lovely to have you on, Caleb. Oh, it's been a, a blast. Yeah. And uh, and I'm sure everybody who listens to the show, all 15 of them, will be very happy to listen to a, uh, an episode of this show where the two, the, where the co-hosts don't sound almost exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the main That's complaint. Fair. That's like the main complaint That's I think fair. that people get. That I, that I get from people is like, I like the show, but you and your brother sound the same. I'm like, well, I don't know what you want me to do about that. Chad, Jason, just and Grant like, before just every kind of, single... Just kind of put a voice changer on one of us or like, oh you know. Oh my goodness. That'd be a pain. Maybe I can talk in my sexy voice, but, you know. I don't think that would be appropriate. <laughs> anyway, thanks, thanks for listening. Peace out, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>